I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we're going to be talking with Brian Wilson. Brian is the Associate Director of Junior Tennis at the Darling Tennis Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. He also works with Head Tennis in their U.S. uh, scouting operation. And so Brian's going to be speaking with us not only about his work with Head and sponsorships and how kids can get connected with Head Tennis, but also Brian is working very closely with UTR to put some events on, Pro Series events at the Darling Tennis Center. And so he's going to talk to us a little bit about that as well. But um, Brian brings a lot to the table as a coach, someone who works with high-level juniors, someone who works at a phenomenal facility in Las Vegas. If you've never been to the Darling Tennis Center, highly recommend you pay a visit there if you've got an opportunity to take your kid to play there or just go watch some great tennis or train. Um, It is a really, really nice facility in a beautiful location in Las Vegas, Nevada. So um, before I bring Brian on, Online, I want to just remind you guys of a couple things. We do have a new Tennis Parents Only group on Facebook, and it is Parents Only and me um, talking about all kinds of things relating to junior tennis. So if you are on Facebook and looking for a place to chat with other parents and get information, share resources, that's the spot for you. If you're not following us on Twitter and Instagram, I hope you'll do that as well. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel because just like this video is there, all of our recent podcasts since COVID uh, took over the world, we've been doing video versions of our podcasts and you can watch all of them on our YouTube channel. You can also view the video version, listen to the audio version, and read the show notes on ParentingAces.com, and we update that every week as well. If you haven't joined us as a premium member, I want to encourage you to take that leap too. You can do a monthly membership or an annual membership, which is the more economical option. And again, just check out ParentingAces.com for all of that information. All right. So now let me get Brian online with us. Brian, I am unmuting you. I am adding you to the video. It is gorgeous where you are today. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much, Lisa. Glad to be here. It's uh, it's sunny. That's that's something I'm happy for. It's been uh, quite cold and we had snow here a couple of days in Las Vegas. So we haven't been playing as much tennis. Uh, today's a beautiful day. So we're playing lots of tennis and uh, glad to be here. Glad to be on your show. Well, glad to have you. And I'm going to start like I start with a lot of people that come on for the first time. And that is to ask you to give us a little bit of your tennis story. How did you get started in the sport? And what was your journey like up until today? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, it's been a beautiful journey. Uh, Tennis started for me at probably three or four years old in in San Diego. And it was a family sport. Uh, Both my parents played, my grandparents played. I actually started at the YMCA. Uh, I think it was in Escondido, California, uh, just kind of running around being a ball kid for my parents and grandparents. And, uh, you know, I started to, to be more interested in tennis. Um, I played all different sports. I played four sports, uh, three sports actually till I was 15, um, you know, but started tournaments probably, you know, nine, 10 years old, like most kids. 
and um, you know was blessed to be able to to grow up in San Diego and and play in Southern California and have great coaching and great weather. Um, but it was a family sport. It was something that we enjoyed on the weekends. If I didn't have a tournament, uh, I would go spend you know the night with my grandparents and, and play tennis at their country club. So it was a, a lot of positive experiences when I when I think back on that at a young age. Um, I wasn't too serious about tennis though until I was about 14. So I would play tournaments. I would play sectionals. I played a few nationals, but nothing nothing crazy. I wasn't dominating. Um, so, you know, at 14, 15, I, you know, I started to get more serious, had a conversation with my parents about, would you like to play in college? One of these sports, soccer, basketball, or tennis. And I chose tennis. And so I became a lot more serious about it. Uh, at 16 years old, I, I left home and I went to the wild tennis Academy for two years. And that's when I really kind of made a big jump, uh, mentally and physically. And, um, then went on to play college tennis at the university of Illinois, uh, under Craig Tiley. And we had a great team there. Uh, you know, a lot of people asked me why I went there and didn't stay in Southern Cal. Um, one of the main reasons I just had a great feel for the coaches. Um, they had a plan for me to improve. You know, that's something, a uh, definite piece of advice for, for parents listening and, and uh, you know, coming to your site. Um, when, you're, when you're choosing a college, that, that coach is so integral and making sure that the coach has a plan and, and maps out that plan. Some other coaches had recruited me pretty hard but really didn't have a plan for me. So I chose Illinois and we had a great run. You know, we, we won a couple national championships. And from there, I got to play professionally for about five years. Um, got up to 100 in singles, 200, uh, 100 in doubles, 200 in singles. Uh, played a few grand slams and, and had a blast. Was, uh, was blessed to do that. And um, pretty soon after that, I, uh, I was recruited to coach. And I was looking at some other things in business or, or you know, some other, uh, you know, opportunities. And uh, I was recruited to coach the Darling Tennis Center. And so it happened pretty quickly after I stopped playing in, I think, 2008. And uh, so right away went into coaching and, and I've loved it ever since. And you talked about playing for Coach Craig Tiley. Craig, of course, is now the tournament director for the Australian Open, which is going to start shortly. Um, actually, get started on my birthday, February eighth. Oh, wow! So yeah, um, it's it's been quite the story to follow this year of watching Craig and Tennis Australia kind of get this tournament to actually happen. And of course, we've heard about so many players having to quarantine and it's been nuts, but kudos to Craig for making it happen. And much, much thanks to the country of Australia for allowing this event to go forward, because as we all know, Australia has done an incredible job with COVID and the fact that they're opening their borders to allow tennis to come in is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, and we actually had a Illinois Zoom call uh, with our alumni uh, I would say about three weeks ago, and it was it was set up by Brad Dancer at Illinois, and it was incredible to be on there with about 35 alums. And Craig hopped on the call midway. We didn't wow. know he was going to be on, but he he talked a little bit about the logistics, um, you know, of having qualities in the Middle East, uh, chartering you know flights from L.A., Miami, uh, Europe, the Middle East, and um, it, it's something that that we knew that Craig could could spearhead and pull off with his great team there because he was always the hardest worker. I mean, didn't, didn't matter that he was the coach. Um, you know, he, we knew he was working more than anybody else when I was at Illinois and that, you know, he led by example, he led by how he treated people 
uh, with respect and, and was just always a, a very positive person. So I think that was one of the reasons we excelled is, is seeing Craig work so hard. We had to up our standards. You know, I think coming into college, you know, we were all good junior players, but um, that doesn't mean anything, you know, when you step foot on a college campus. So seeing Craig Tiley and Bruce Burke, uh, who's now at the University of Texas and is a national champion there, seeing their work ethic, um, you know, made us, you know, bump our work ethic to another level. So, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I think it's it's been pretty, uh, pretty entertaining seeing the players in quarantine and all the videos. Um, and I just I hope it's going to be a great event. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that Craig is, is uh, almost ready to start it. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk a little bit, Brian, about making that transition from junior tennis to college tennis? I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but, you know, coming up through juniors, most of our kids don't have a ton of team experience before they step foot on a college campus. I know USTA is trying to to do more with that. UTR is now offering a team a kind of competition for juniors well that's going to get launched in February um, which is great and we published an article on parentingaces.com so if, listeners if you miss that news check that out it's going to be a really cool opportunity but from your perspective moving from juniors into college and now with the benefit of hindsight now that you're coaching junior players can you kind of Tell us a little bit about what that process is like and some of the things that junior players maybe need to make themselves more aware of before they actually start their college tennis careers. Yeah, well, great question. Um, I'm going to answer that in two parts. The first okay. part will be uh, life skills and academics, and the second will be tennis. Um, number one, you know, life skills and academics are super important. and That's why I start with that first. Um, you know, we hear about a lot with time management, how important that is. Uh, it's been very interesting for me to see so many kids do online schooling in the past, you know, 10, 15 years mm -hmm. and their lack of ability to schedule things and accomplish tasks. So that is, that's huge. I mean, that's something that, uh, a tennis coach needs to be involved with. Uh, they need to understand what's going on with, with their junior players, um, uh, timeline with their schedule during the week. So is the player accomplishing their academic tasks? And if they are, then they should be allowed to play events and train um, because that's something that I struggle with uh, my freshman year is, you know, trying to put tennis and training before uh, managing the other stuff, you know, managing, you know, getting to class, studying, getting to study all, getting my hours done. So if and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but sure. there's a reason the the players are called student athletes. The student piece comes first, right? Yeah. And that's, that's definitely an area where, um, you know, pretty much every school is going to have great support, but the players need to be able to use that support, you know, use tutors, uh, use their academic, academic advisors. Um, so that's really important. That's something that needs to be done in high school. You can't jump into college and expect to start planning everything and accomplishing tasks on time. That needs to be practiced just like a forehand or a backhand. Um, I think the second thing is, is really, um, you know, getting to know other athletes and learning from them. One of the things we were pretty blessed to have at Illinois was great. And sorry, sorry, not just, not tennis players, but athletes in general, you're other, saying. Absolutely, other sports. I mean, when you're in a college environment, you know, if you play at a, at a high level, if you play Division One, Division Two, you're around other athletes excelling that are some of the best in the world at their sport. So we learned a lot from the basketball team. 
at Illinois. And we had um, Darren Williams, D. Brown. Darren Williams went on to be an Olympic athlete. You know, he made $100 million in prize money in the NBA uh, in salary. And so we learned from them. You know, we'd ask them, what are you doing in your practices? We'd go watch him play. And that's, that's a cool thing about college and, and college athletics. So I think developing those relationships, uh, managing your time, accomplishing your, your academic tasks, and that's going to take get your mind ready for tennis. Um, and that's going to help you be more relaxed, uh, be more disciplined when it comes to your training, and be more focused. And I think one of the things that we did great at Illinois is we had a, a daily plan and a weekly plan. So we knew what we were doing that day before we showed up for practice, and we knew what the weekly goals were. So, you know, any of my junior players, you know, here at the Darling Tennis Center, they, they know what we're working on uh, that day. You know, it's clear. We have a clear vision. Um, we have a clear vision for the entire week, right? There's usually a theme to that week. So, you know, in any sport, really, Lisa, that's, that's important to know. It's important to know what what you're going to do ahead of time that sets your mind up for for success. Um, so I think those those three areas, you know, managing your time, uh, taking care of academics first, developing relationships with other teams and, and regular students, um, you know, and then having a plan, a specific plan when you when you go to your tennis training. I love that. You mentioned have that at Darling, you have a plan. Your players know the plan each day, each week. Where do the excuse me, where do the parents fit into that? Yeah, great question. Um, so we we use a, an app called Tennis Locker. Um, and Love that. Doug Kruger is a, is a good friend, and, and I've known Doug for a long time. And um, so that is something that we're using more and more to send out push notifications, calendars, weather updates. Um, within the app, we do a video review of the players. So this week, we're, everyone will get a video review of their serve. Um, you know, video is great for the parents and kids to see so that we're all on the same page. Um, with that account, both parents and players can see all the information. Um, you know, but, but again, that's, that's something where we, we want to communicate with more with the parents. Um, you know, within my coaching role, I've seen that, and I, I coach a lot of young players. My son is seven years old. He, he comes to our school and does tennis a lot. And I've seen it so important to educate the parents before the kids are, 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And when I say educate, you know, talking about what it's going to be like, the ups and downs, um, you know, how tough tennis is. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult sport. It, it demands a lot. So, you know, educating the parents at the young age, that's a huge part of it. Um, talking about, you know, the importance of other sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still push our players to play a second sport uh, until they hit their teenage years. Um, so that's <laughs> I love that. I'm so yeah, yeah, glad yeah. to hear you say that. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, that's that's something that, um, you know, I've, I've talked at length with Johnny Parks, who was my um, my colleague at the USTA, and now he's at IMG. Um, I think he's head of strength and fitness now. But, you know, talking about the development of the athlete uh, yeah. more, having that discussion more with, with parents and coaches, and less about talking about a nine-year-old about how hard they can hit the forehand. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I wanted to say, I hope that the listeners are hearing what Brian's saying here, because this is a message that we've heard from several coaches and several medical professionals over the years with parenting aces that playing multiple sports is not only great for the mental side and, and helping kids avoid burnout, but from a physical perspective and, and injury prevention, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, I mean, I, I can say this pretty confidently that 
um, you know, being a being an NCAA champion, you know, winning the doubles with Rajiv, winning a team event, my senior year being number one in singles, um, you know, and then then having a pretty solid professional career. I would not have been able to reach those heights without playing those other sports. And, you know, it's not, you know, and I play the sports till I was 15 years old. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying every kid needs to do that. But, you know, up until 12, 13 years old, they should be involved in a secondary sport. Um, and that's something that is, uh, is hard for the parents to swallow sometimes because we're basing, you know, 12 and under rankings. Um, that, that is in the, in the thought process a lot, you know, obviously too much. Sure. But, um, but, yeah, I can say very confidently, and I've talked with my parents about it at length, that I would not have been as successful a tennis player without those other sports. I love hearing that. Talk about your role or your parents' role in your development coming up. Were they involved tennis parents? Did they take a back seat? Did they let you drive the bus? How did that work? Yeah, great question. Um, they were involved tennis parents, but they were hands off. So some people may say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, <laughs> they, they, they were involved with a supporting role. Um, you know, there was definitely some parameters that I had to meet. You know, I had to be doing well in school. I had to be respecting my coaches and, and you know, putting out a good effort and there wouldn't be any problems. Um, but they, you know, my dad could have coached me. He chose not to coach me. Um, and that was because he wanted to maintain that father-son relationship and, and go out and just play for fun. So they, they did a great job. They were very hands-off, um, you know, gave me space after losses. I mean, I remember a lot of tough losses in, in Los Angeles, you know, with my mom was there and. We'd have a long two-hour drive back to San Diego, and we didn't talk tennis at all. I mean, and I was 15, 16 years old, and she could have asked me, you know, lots of stuff, uh, but we never talked tennis. And we would talk tennis if I, you know, if I wanted to, but I rarely did after a loss. Sure. So they did a great job, very supportive, um, you know, and, and told me, you know, hey, I got to give a good effort and be respectful. And, um, you know, but yeah, they were, they were great. So how does your experience with your own parents coming up through juniors inform how you interact with parents now that you're in a primary coaching role? Yeah, that's, um, it's definitely, it's not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> I, I um, you know, I was pretty naive coming off the, the ATP tour and, um, you know, thinking, oh, I'll just tell these parents, you know, I played in college and professional and everyone will listen. Um, <laughs> So, that doesn't happen? No. Oh, gosh. But uh, no, I mean, you know, really, it's, it's about showing them you care. Uh, it's about showing them that you really care for their child. And, you know, it, you know in any you know, business relationship, there's got to be trust. And, you know, with Perrin and, and myself, you know, there is a part of the business relationship. You know, they, they are spending, you know, their hard-earned money and, um, you know, to, to support their kids. So I think you know, like Craig did for me and Bruce is, is showing them the plan, you know, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what I want to get done. A, B, and C. Uh, this is my plan. This is what I need you to help with. And, you know, be in a supporting role, um, you know, know how to handle losses with the kids, know when we need a few days off. That's a huge one. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so yeah, so I think it's, it's showing them that you care about their child and then showing them a plan. If yeah. you if you disregard parents and you don't show them a plan, that's when they become over-involved because they don't know what's happening and they feel that they need to now immerse themselves uh, more than, than is necessary into the development. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's interesting. There's been a lot of kind of discussion on Twitter recently. Um, Philip Fama of Tweenerhead Tennis posed the question, you know, coaches, do you believe parents should be on the court when their kids are, you know, having a lesson or doing drills? And I, I just did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did an interview with Philip uh, that went online a few days ago, and we talk about this whole trust element. And I'm I'm glad to have some validation from you, Brian Wilson, on my point of view on that, which is exactly what you said. If the coaches are communicating clearly with the parents and the parents and the coaches trust each other, then the parents are feel comfortable taking that step back and letting the coach do their job and letting their kid own the tennis. But if the coach isn't communicating clearly, the parents feel the need to, you know, really insert themselves in the process way more than is maybe healthy. Yeah. And that's, that's one where I, you know, I never allow parents on the court when I'm training a player. It doesn't matter the age. I mean, um, we had a, a six-year-old girl come out the other day and she was doing a little group class and red ball and, um, you know, the parents really wanted to come on the court. And I said, I said, no, it's, it's best, you know, if, if you just sit right on the side here and, and just spectate, um, and the kid, you know, kept going over to the fence. And so we were trying to direct the kid to come in the group and it took about 15 minutes. But when that child was, was around the other kids and looking at the coach and engaged, uh, for about 35 minutes, she didn't look once at mommy or daddy. And she had an incredible experience, uh, you know, went home that night and said she wanted to come back the next day and the next day and the next day. So it really is important uh, at any age. And, you know, I think parents also need a break. You know, they they, they don't need to be, uh, you know, right next to their children 24-7. Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, I think has, has changed since I grew up, you mm-hmm. know, is I see the parents, you know, even more now carrying the tennis bags and filling the water bottle for 14 year old players. Um, that's not something that should happen. That's, right. that, you know, the, there needs to be some separation of, of parent and child. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Let's, let's jump into your role with head tennis and what it means that you are the U S scout for head tennis. What is that? Yeah. So I came on board about two years ago, uh, with head pen racket sports and, uh, it's, it's been awesome. Great company, uh, great products. Um, so my role, I'm in charge of sponsorships for junior players. Um, I also work with Sophia Bott, our grassroots manager, uh, who's based out of Phoenix, which is our headquarters for the U.S., uh, with some college initiatives and, um, you know, getting more products to colleges, more demos. Um, and then also I do support uh, young pros, pros that are coming out of co- college and looking to make a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. where, you know, if they're not top 200, 250 in the world, uh, those higher players are supported by Austria, which is our international headquarters. Uh, those players, you know, take care of uh, Coco Goff, Bianca Andreescu, Novak Djokovic, um, you know, and other players that maybe people aren't familiar with, but are, you know, top 150, 200. So my, my role, um, there's a lot of different parts to my role. Um, again, it's about creating relationships. So I do a lot of travel. Um, you know, before COVID, I was traveling about 60, 70 days a year to large events, uh, academies, national tournaments, Orange Bowl, Eddie Herr, um, to see the players, but then also um, make relationship with the coaches and parents. Um, my role also, I've included uh, sponsoring coaches that maybe aren't on ad staff, but maybe have a, a great track record of developing top junior college and professional athletes. Uh, I will provide them with, with free product 
and, um, and certain initiatives. And we've got some pretty exciting things in the mix. I mean, obviously, our new Radical just launched. Uh, we've got some great new string, Links Tour. Um, and we've got some pretty neat initiatives coming to create more of a team format uh, and team feel for Team Head. So those will be coming in uh, quarter three or quarter four of, of 2021. But, uh, but it's exciting. It's, it's a nice role, and it, it helps me balance. So I don't have to, you know, maybe teach 50 or 60 hours a week uh, like I was when I was in Seattle. And it helps me stay plugged in with, with um, you know, coaches and players from around the country. So it's, it's pretty neat. If a player is interested in procuring a sponsorship with Head or, or any of the tennis companies for that matter, what's involved? What are you looking for as the scout? Yeah, I can only speak for, for you know, myself and my team. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously – uh, we want players, uh, you know, that, that, you know, have showed, you know, progress and, and solid results. Um, we are pretty aggressive in the junior market right now. We are looking for, for more players, um, that are playing at a high level. Um, a, a great way to get to know us and our team is Instagram. So follow us on team head underscore North America, and we're providing content. Uh, some of our sponsored players, we're doing Instagram lives with them. I did an Instagram live with Taylor Fritz, which is really neat. Um, you know, but they also can reach out to me, you know, if they're, if they're, um, you know, doing really well sectionally are playing nationals or are having some good results in nationals, they can reach out to me. Um, they can reach out through Instagram, our, our team head page. Um, you know, but also, you know, sportsmanship is a big part of it. Um, we've had a couple of instances where players were, you know, abusing rackets and getting code violations. And that's, um, that's really not something, uh, we want to see. And, right. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that because I know um, I know how much work we do and how important it is to to respect the the equipment you get. So, you know, sportsmanship is a huge part of it, um, you know, and, and, you know, having having some high goals. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the player saying, hey, I want to be a top division one player. Or I want to play professionally. I mean, those are, the, you know, the players that we're looking to to support, um, you know, have a lot of those lofty goals. Sure. Okay. Tell me your Instagram one more time. Cause I missed it. Sure. Team head underscore or North America. North America. Oops. And I can't type. Okay. So I'm going to just put that up on the screen. Um, so those of you who are looking for, uh, for team head on Instagram, there it is. You can click on that link and follow them. And as Brian's saying, you can connect with them through Instagram. I would say through um, DMing on Instagram or reaching out. And also just uh, for those who want to get in touch with Brian directly, brianwilson at gmail.com is the best email address to use for him. So um, I think it's really interesting, Brian, to hear you talk about the sportsmanship piece uh, to the sponsorships, because I know that's a question that comes up a lot. And you know, seems to come up more on the boys' side than the girls' side for some reason. Um, not sure what that is. Um, but let's dive into that a little bit more because I want to kind of hammer this point home with the parents and maybe even the junior coaches who are listening or watching this interview that when a sponsor or a potential sponsor is taking a look at your player, they are looking at the player's behavior. Yeah. I mean, and that's one where, uh, you know, I, I don't base my sponsorships just based on rankings. Um, you know, some people say, is it UTR? Is it tennis recruiting? Is it a USTA ranking? Um, and obviously now with COVID, I mean, it's hard to go just off ranking. 
Sure. Right. So a lot of what I do and when I vet a player or I vet a coach, I get some background on them. I ask coaches and players that have competed against them, that have seen them train. And if this kid is somebody that, that is, is positive, is a good influence, um, you know, is going to speak well about the products and, and not, you know, abuse the rackets, that's somebody that's going to go higher on my list. I'm not saying that they're going to get a full sponsorship, uh, but there's a lot of different factors. And, um, you know, I mean, it's written into our contract. You know, if there's racket abuse or, um, you know, if the behavior is, is not up to par with our ambassador program, you can be cut. And, uh, and that has happened uh, mid-year. And they said, well, it's a one-year contract. I said, yeah, but, you know, you violated, you know, our, our agreement, you know, when, when there was this, you know, outrageous behavior. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but, uh, but that is one of the components of sponsorship. You know, uh, you know, giving giving free product and, and um, you know, so, yep, it's definitely important. Let's talk about what sponsorship is, too, because when I was coming up in junior tennis, you know, there were kids who were on the free list for the different racket companies. And that meant they were getting their rackets provided free of charge. And I I never was good enough to be on a free list, so I have no idea how many rackets a year they were getting or how that worked. But what does it mean for Head if you are sponsoring a junior player? What's involved in that? So we have, I mean, we have another tier as well. We have, you know, competition packages that are paid. Um, You know, those are, 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 you know, a, a great deal. I mean, for players that are doing well sectionally, but maybe are not excelling yet nationally and, uh, and want to use the product. So we have a great competitive package, um, you know, for rackets, strings, bags, all of that, grips. Um, Where you get a discount, but you correct. still pay for the product. Correct. Yep. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty deep discount. I mean, it's a, it's a solid discount. Um, and then we have full sponsorships, which, uh, which include racket bag, backpack, um, string, grips, rackets. Um, and that one is scalable, meaning a younger player is not going to get as many rackets as an older player. Our okay. older players, um, I, I think if you're in the, you know, if you're one of the top 16, 18 players, you're going to get six rackets. Um, and that, uh, a year, know, six rackets a year. Yep. Okay. And, um, pretty close to that in reels of string. So, you, you know, you can get, uh, you know, you, you'll never have to buy product. It's pretty mm-hmm. much, um, you know, our, our deal for those top players. Um, so yeah, so there are a couple tiers, you know, if you're a younger player, you may only get three rackets, but that's still great. Uh, they're not breaking strings or, or uh, moving through frames as fast as a, a 17-year-old playing ITFs and junior grand slams. Right. Uh, so there is a different scale based on based on age. And what's the process for somebody who is interested in getting sponsored by Head? Yep, uh, it's it's just through me. Um, it's it's one where they would start a start a conversation, a relationship with me. Um, I would get to know their parents. I would get to know their coaches. I would do some research on the results. Um, I would ask what their plans are. What are your, what are your tournament, uh, goals? What are your tournament schedules? Um, and then I make a decision. Uh, I have a couple people on my team around the country that I work with, uh, that also help scout. Um, so it's, it's a team effort, but, um, but the buck stops with me. Is it sort of like college recruiting where you want the player to reach out to you and share with you match results, um, upcoming events, maybe some video of their play or is it a little more relaxed than that? Well, yeah, I mean, that always helps. I mean, you know, it's the U.S. is a big country, um, you know, and I, I can't get to every event. I can't get to every academy. So, yeah, I think the player definitely has to be proactive 
Um, I also too am, am, you know, contacting coaches and seeing which players having great results. Um, you know, I saw somebody at a, at UTR pro series, Newport that I've been speaking to. Um, you know, so, so if I'm at an event, I'll approach players that, that, uh, I think have potential or, or maybe have interest in head rackets. Um, you know, but again, country is the country's huge and there's so many events. Um, you know, usually the player needs to take a proactive role. I love that. There, I interviewed a junior coach a while back and we talked about sponsorships and his approach was that he didn't allow his junior players to get sponsored because he felt like it took away that hunger, that drive and, and made them a little too, you know, I'm, I'm already, I've already reached the, the pinnacle. Yeah. yeah. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's a, that's a different approach, to be honest. Um, I, I think if I was a parent of that player, I would have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, my, my, my parents, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So, you know, if we were traveling to a national tournament, um, you know, we were on a tight, tight budget. So, you know, buying rackets and buying string and buying shoes uh, was a big expense. So I see where that coach is coming from, but I also disagree. I think, you know, there's definitely two ways to look at sponsorship. That's one way. I haven't seen that much though, Lisa. No. I've seen players that get sponsored and they are motivated to um, be great ambassadors and to stay sponsored. I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool thing if you can get sponsored at 13, 14 and you stay sponsored throughout your junior career. I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a feather in your cap that shows that you are continuing to progress and work hard, um, have good sportsmanship. So I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I see the point of view. But, um, you know, pretty much all the players we get, I mean, they're, they're just they're continuing to work hard and and, um, you know, want to show off their their great head equipment. I love that. You mentioned a second ago UTR Pro Series, and I mentioned in the intro that you are going to be the tournament director for some UTR Pro Series events. They were supposed to happen in February. COVID is just wreaking havoc on everything in the world, not just tennis, obviously. But so now you're kind of bumping your events to later in the year, maybe in the spring, hopefully. Yeah. You- so, yeah, yeah. We're working, you know, really closely with, um, with uh, UTR, um, Kelly and Steven Armitrage have been fantastic. Their whole team, uh, very professional and, and very, very forward thinking. So uh, they're going to allow us to run events uh, in May and June. So the dates are not finalized yet, but we will have um, some events then. And, and hopefully if they go well, more events in the fall. And we're super excited about it. I am. I, my whole team here is a darling. We had the last 25K uh, Futures event sponsored by Oracle in uh, the spring uh, of 220, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. So that was in March. And we had a men's and a women's event. Um, I think that was Robin Montgomery that won it. And then Petros won the men's. So, but amazing event. I mean, I really like hosting those events, um, you know, really making sure the players have a great experience. And, you know, being down in Newport and seeing this new UTR Pro Series in action uh, has been great, you know, and it gives the players competitive opportunities, prize money, but also multiple matches. Um, it's not a one and done. I mean, all the players go through a round robin and, uh, and get those competitive matches that are, that are vital. And so some of the listeners may be wondering why we're talking about Pro Series events on Parenting Aces, because typically we focus on juniors and college players. The cool thing about these UTR events is they're open. So juniors can sign up. They may not get in, but they can certainly attempt to get into the tournament just like they can, 
you know, sign up and try to get into bigger national events. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, um, I think twofold, Lisa, I think trying to get into, there's a qualies, uh, or prior to qualies, there's usually a wildcard tournament. So we'll host wildcard tournaments here at Darling where, where it'll be mostly juniors and some college players. Um, but then also coming to, to watch, I mean, if the club allows due to COVID protocols, um, you know, as we, as we move through and, and the numbers are dropping and vaccinations are going up, um, you know, go watch. It's not just about competing. I mean, that's, one thing I did a lot in Southern Cal is going to watch, um, you know, USC, UCLA, watching, you know, pro events, going to, um, you know, watch the the pro event at UCLA and and getting inspired, you know, watching pro tennis or watching college tennis for junior players should be um, something that you're doing. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's very important. Right. And I know the Rome event that's going on right now in Georgia, um, they have people just sitting in the parking lot in their cars and watching because it's not open because of COVID, but there's nothing preventing you from driving your car and sitting in the parking lot with your windows, you know, windows closed, um, protecting everybody, but at least you can watch. The great thing about, you know, the UTR pro series is it's streaming worldwide. Um, you know, they're, they're streaming their events and, um, you know, so very, very important for those kids that, you know, may set a goal, but they don't know what pro tennis really looks like. Um, so th- those players need to be watching that on a, on a weekly basis. If you have a junior player and you're guiding them to watch these pro, pro circuit events and college events, what are you telling them to look at when they're at the events? Are you giving them specific protocols? Yeah, kind of depends on the age, uh, Lisa. I mean, if they're, sure. a, if they're a younger player, if that's, you know, 11, 12, 13, I just want them to watch and get inspired. I want them to watch and, and just see how great those players are and, um, you know, maybe even find a favorite player, you know. Uh, yeah, as Wayne Bryan says, you have to see it before you can be it, right? Yeah, you, you've got you to see it in your mind. Um, then if they as they get older, I mean, a lot for me, um, you know, on the men's side would be, you know, serve and first ball. Um, you know, what is their plan? You know, what are they doing uh, to get their opponent off balance? Um, on the women's side, it's it's, you know, having weapons on both sides, forehand and backhand. Um, you know, being aggressive on the serve and return. Um, so, you know, as they get older, you know, 14, 15, 16, uh, we do talk about those things and, and we do want them uh, watching those and, and seeing the pros do those. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, every year before the slams, I typically write articles about, you know, why you should be sitting in front of your TV and watching these matches with your kid and you know, sometimes I advise parents turn the sound off and just look at the feet. That's all you're going to watch. This whole match is just the feet, you know, or very important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How often does a professional miss a split step? Well, not often. How often do junior players miss a split step? Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And adult league players quite often. (laughs) Oh yeah. I've got a couple teams. I know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Brian, what else do you want us to know? You've shared so much great information today and I love hearing your story and kind of how you got to where you are in Las Vegas with Darling Tennis Center and with Head and running these UTR pro events. I mean, there's so much happening in the world of tennis, even with COVID. And I think, you know, for me, that's exciting to hear. Yeah. I mean, I I really do think that, um, 2021 is going to be a great year. Um, you know, I'm blessed to have a great team and to be able to do a couple different things, you know, have a couple different things on my plate. Um, you know, but I would say to the parents, you know, listening in and, and, um, you know, is, is build relationship with other parents. 
um, that's one that I, I saw my parents do and that made a positive impact on me as a junior player. So what I mean by that is, is um, when you go to events, don't just sit in a silo, right? Is, is talk to others, um, compliment other, other uh, parents, uh, compliment their kids and their play. Um, that goes a long way. I created some great relationships uh, you know, with doubles partners and my parents became great friends with those parents. And those are some of my best memories when myself and my parents would spend time with my doubles partner and those parents. Um, and so I would say create relationships, really important. Um, number two is play a second sport. You know, if, if the kids are young enough, um, you know, they don't have to play it at the national level. They don't have to play AU basketball, but play another sport. And one of the things you mentioned previously, Lisa, was not getting a lot of feel for team play in tennis. Mm-hmm. Well, one way that a kid can practice that is through another sport. And, you know, when they do go to college, they're going to have that experience of playing that secondary sport, uh, learning how to communicate, learning how to sit the bench or know when to come in off the bench and have good energy. Um, so I think those would be two of my main uh, points, takeaways. And then number three, come visit us at Darling. Uh, here in beautiful Las Vegas. Will y'all be doing COVID permitting some summer camps or things like that where oh, yeah. people I mean, who are looking to vacation? We've we've uh, we've experienced quite a quite an uptick with with tennis um, participation, mm-hmm. um, and you know making sure that you know the safety standards are met, uh, players are spaced on the court. Uh, but that's a beautiful thing. We're outside here all the time. Um, we have twenty three courts. Um, it's been pretty neat. We've seen, um, you know, Andre and Steffi, they've been training Sebastian Corda here in December. Um, Jeannie Bouchard's training here on our stadium court. Um, so it's pretty neat to be able to see those players and, and to, you know, get inspired. Uh, okay. But we've got, you know, we've got a lot of space. You know, it's nice to have 23 courts. Um, so, yeah, we'll be doing all sorts of camps and, and programming. And am I remembering correctly that no Rubens behind the racket tour is going to be kicking yeah. off at Darling? Yeah, his uh, his latest promotional video was shot in our center court, and uh, and Noah will be here in uh, September, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but behind the racket, great guy. I'm actually good friends with his co-host Mike Cation. Yeah, uh, Mike was at Illinois, and uh, and he was a good friend. So, yep, Noah's been here and and loved the club and. And so, you know, that's one of the things we we um, really take pride in is events and, uh, you know, is welcoming people to Las Vegas. Uh, we had a, a huge PPA pickleball event um, last year. Uh, it was on ESPN3. We're going to have them back this year. So, uh, so yeah, excited about those those events for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. And for people that haven't been to Darling and have this image of Las Vegas just being the strip, which is that was my image of Vegas, too, until I I saw Darling Tennis Center. There's a whole different side of Las Vegas that you may not be familiar with. And it's it's beautiful. So we're based in Summerlin, uh, which is a a master plan community uh, about 15 minutes from the strip. Um, We're also 15 minutes from Red Rock Canyon. Um, we've got a couple beautiful hotels. Um, the Golden Knights, uh, our hockey team practices about two miles from Darling. Uh, a beautiful, you know, public ice rink that you can go watch and skate. Um, I can't ice skate though, so I don't. I don't do. It. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful spot. I mean, you, we have people come and stay on the strip and drive out here, but uh, you know, it's a 15, 20 minute drive. But it's it's a it's a great spot. 
Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you again so much. And I just want to put the Instagram handle back up for those looking for information on joining Team Head and um, maybe learning a little bit more about that company. You can follow them on Instagram at Team Head underscore North America. And for those who want to get in touch with Brian directly, his email is brianwilsontennis at gmail.com. And Brian's there to answer questions. Certainly you've heard today he is a wealth of knowledge, not only in the realm of junior tennis development and tennis parenting, but also junior sponsorships, professional tennis. He's got a, a just a whole wealth of knowledge to share and is thankfully very willing to do that. So Brian, I really appreciate your generosity of time and information and hope you'll come back and keep us posted on what's going on in your world. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Lisa. And, and thanks for all you do for, for junior tennis and, and parents out there. Thanks so much. Thank you. And to my listeners, thank you all for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.